You may be seated. The coming out of Easter, reminded of the victory that is ours in Christ, and uh, delighted week after week after week to meet on what Revelation told us was the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. And so we continue to gather and meet. And every time we do in that way, uh, we're reminded that He is risen and He is victorious and He is on high. A question I have for you. Um, When somebody says church, what comes to your mind? What what comes when, when, when we say church? It's interesting because if you're a person who's not from a Christian background and you've never darkened the door of a church, it's kind of a mystery. What goes on in there? What do they do? And some people have had experiences um, with church as young people or older people. And, and so when we say church, it conjures up different kind of pictures for us. It may be stained glass or organs or flowing gowns or or candles and prayers and sacred rituals it, it it may be hospitals and schools or weddings and funerals or residential schools or missionaries or children in Sunday school uh, maybe you see church as a purveyor of outmoded moral values or something like that or sermons that are boring or not or not. I hope are not. We work to the end that it's not, but hey, listen, uh, I talked about important things that we do, and one, one of those things is preaching, and, and maybe it's that. And, and you may be gathering with us today, and you've never gone to church. And maybe you're here, and this is your first time being in a church, or you're online, and you're seeing something for the first time. Um, we, we may not know much about church, but there's one thing it, that uh, seems important to me, that for many, church is a non-entity. When they think about church in our community, in our society, they, they think of buildings that they see as they drive by. They don't know what goes on inside, but they know that there are people who gather in there. They're not sure what it's all about. They may be doing something that is mysterious, shrouded, uh, uh, mysteriously shrouded from outsiders. And in some places, uh, and in a lot of places, the church has been greatly marginalized. Um, it really doesn't have much to offer to say. It's quiet. They keep, themse- keep to themselves. They're in their, their buildings and whatever they do. That is what their, their thing is. And yet, do you know that some some 2,000 years ago, as the church was launched about 2,000 years ago now, there was something incredible that happened. Um, it, it wasn't the case that they were just marginalized or they were shut in a building. For the large part, they had no building. Um, they, they, uh, rather, they see this fledgling church that's just beginning. I mean, it started with a handful of guys, and there were a few women, and, and largely, this was not a huge movement. Um, but he, here it is. For better or for worse, they were on the scene. 
And they were known by the people in the community. And they had a reputation. Uh, they'd caught people's attention. They were no notorious for good or for worse. Um, like him or hate him, you knew that they were there and they were doing something and they were causing a stir. This movement of, of the church as it began, as we look in the book of Acts, starting a new series uh, today, um, is... 30 years um, of, the first, of the start of the church of Jesus Christ and what happens in all of that. As I said, a few people, and it grew into a movement in, such that in, in the Roman Empire, they were recognized. and It started in Jerusalem, in the capital city of, of uh, Israel. And it spread to the province, Judah, and, and it spread from there to another province in Samaria. And from there, it would go to the ends of the known earth, right around the, the Roman Empire. And in an estimated 30 years, there were about some 100,000 believers. Today, Christianity boasts to be the largest religion in the world with adherents in, in some sense or other, being 3.2 billion people. And I know that a lot of those are only Christian in name. There's nothing practicing about them. But this all stemmed from this little movement that began just after Easter. In fact, in the first century, in AD 64, um, Emperor Nero blamed Christians for the fire that was in Rome. Now, what was uh, alleged to have happened, that there was a rumor that, that uh, Nero did not want to have these uh, rebuilding plans for Rome that, and, and have to get them through the Senate. So what he did was he had a fire started. That fire ran out of control for three days. It, it wiped out, started with the, the place where the poor people live and just began to consume more and more. And to uh, kind of mask that he had anything to do with this, he blamed Christians. So by AD 64, uh, there, is, there is such a, a presence of Christians that you could blame them as a group, as an entity. And uh, that's how it started. And uh, the, the point is this, that by that time, Christians were identified. Let me ask a question. How what kind of identification do we have in our community? How much do people know us? What, what goes on here? Who we are? What we're like? When they drive back and forth, it's interesting to me when I, when I meet new people, I say, how'd you come by our church? Well, we, you know, we've driven by back and forth, back and forth, and we thought we'd come in or something like that. It's interesting when um, the Apostle Paul is on a second missionary journey. He goes to Thessalonica, and, uh, and uh, there was some pushback about these Christians who were there. And in Acts 17 and verse 6, it, it says this, uh, that uh, they, they wanted Paul and Barnabas, but they couldn't find them. And they dragged out Jason. This is a guy uh, who was a believer and, and some other uh, believers that were with him. And they took him before the city council. And here's what they said. They said, Paul and Silas have turned the rest of the world upside down. And now they're here disturbing our city. 
And they shouted it. Can you imagine? What the claim that he's making here is these guys have caused trouble wherever they've gone in the world. We, we see that they're growing, growing, growing. And, and wherever they are, they're turning the world upside down. You see the globes here. It reminds us that, that God wants us to turn the world upside down. He, he wants us to be uh, somebody in, in this community who is known and understood and gets the message out and lives the kind of life that God wants. Turn the world upside down? Well, we're doing some things to be sure, but I don't think we'd call it we're telling, turning the world upside down. And when's the last time we could accuse the church of turning the world upside down? For good or for bad. In a few short years, Christians were notable they were seen in the various communities as the gospel spread. It seems to me that in North America and in the Western world, for sure, we can hardly be accused of turning the world upside down. We see uh, Christ's representatives here and there, but when we look at the early church, we see something of how God used people and how it spread like wildfire. And the book of Acts gives us a picture of the first 30 years of the church. And uh, I think it helps us understand how we could be a church, how the church of Jesus Christ could be a church that could turn our world upside down for Christ. Well, we have an introduction. And uh, in, in the book of Acts, uh, we have... A, uh, a statement made in the very first verse. And, and here's what he says. Here's what Luke says. He says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And right away, we, we're, we're triggered to a few things. One, the writer of the book of Acts is Luke. And Luke not only wrote the book of Acts, he wrote, as he said in his former book, he wrote the Gospel of Luke. So this is the only example we have of a, a two-volume set in the New Testament um, written by Luke, written by somebody who understood and knew what was going on and, and is digging into this. Luke is a, a, an extremely capable uh, author. He, he wrote as a, a historian... But in Colossians 4.14, we find out that he's a doctor, the beloved physician Luke. Not only that, uh, he was a friend and a, and a, uh, a, 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 a companion of the Apostle Paul. And we have these sections in the book of Acts where we, we have, and we did this, and we did that. And there's some times when Paul and Luke were together and times when they weren't. Um, if we're to understand this as a two-part set, we need to understand that there's something also uh, about uh, the whole gospel of Luke. This comes to a point, and then we take volume two, and we go from there. And, and so Luke 
uh, 1, 1 to 4, give us an introduction not only to the gospel of Luke, but really to the gospel and Acts together. Many have undertaken to draw up an account, Luke says, of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down uh, to us by those who from the very first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. In my first book, Theophilus, I wrote, uh, and, and this is, he goes on, and he says, in my first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So he's writing a, a, a book here. He's writing it for a guy by the name of Theophilus. Who is this Theophilus that he's writing the, the book about? Um, Luke was a precise author. He did a lot of uh, background check. He did a lot of research. And he's compelled to offer a, a, his version of the Gospel of Luke and the life of Jesus. And he's writing this for a guy by the name of Theophilus. And uh, Theophilus is called, oh, most excellent Theophilus. So we know he's a person of some social standing or political standing. He's, he's a Gentile. And get this, the, the uh, Gospel of Luke and Acts were both written by a Gentile. In fact, it comprises 25% of the whole New Testament is Luke writing the gospel and the book of Acts. And, and Theophilus seems to be a person who has embraced Jesus Christ, but he's having some struggles in his faith. He's having uh, some challenge um, to understand his faith. And, and, and so this was really written to help him see how God has worked through the gospel and into the early church and uh, how the, uh, the apostles and the believers would see this expand and grow. And uh, he says this, uh, and this is really fascinating. He says that in my former book, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Well, that's his conclusion, and he calls it the beginning. He doesn't say this is the, you know, I, I'm concluding it now. And when you go to the end of the book of Acts, you find out that Jesus is resurrected there and the mission is given. And then we step into Acts 1. In my former book, now I told you this, and, and I want you to understand, this is what Jesus began to do and teach. Do and teach. Do and teach. Say, that's interesting. How does, how, how does Jesus do and teach? Well, through the apostles and through believers. He will continue to work through us. Listen to this. In, in Ephesians 4, and verse 21, it says this. And some, some versions don't, this is, uh, you know, uh, they don't really get the full gist of this because they, they add a word in here. But here's what it means. E Ephesians 4 and 21. You have heard and been taught by Christ. Paul says to the Ephesians. Well, well, hold on a second here, Paul. When was Jesus in Asia Minor? He was never in Asia Minor. He wasn't anywhere near Asia Minor. In Ephesians 2.17, he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. How does Jesus preach and teach when he has been off the scene for all this time? I'll tell you how. It's through you 
and through me and through other believers. And, and so Jesus was resurrected and he was preparing his followers for his leaving. He had a 40-day period where he met with them regularly. He taught them everything that he wanted them to know. They didn't get it before. Now there's something different. Now they're, they're connecting the dots. Now they're beginning to understand what's going on. And so in Acts uh, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, he says this, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to the people and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Remember last week we talked about how important the resurrection is? You know, there's something that is, kind of strikes me. When I read through the book of Acts, there's not as much on the, the cross of Jesus Christ. There's a whole lot more on the resurrection. And, and he's saying here, um, after his suffering, he, he showed them, his, his, he appeared to them over and over and over again that they would know that he had conquered death. And uh, in the end of Luke, he was, he was teaching them everything. Uh, he opened their minds to understand Jesus in the whole Old Testament. He's telling, you see this in the Old Testament? You see the Passover lamb? That's me. You see this? That's me. And, and he's teaching them and he's preparing them. And he has a mission for them. And uh, in his mission... He says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, this is cool too, because some people think, you know, Jesus didn't raise from the dead or it was a swoon thing or it was in their mind. He, he had fellowship, table fellowship with them. He ate meals together with them. At one point he says, hey, uh, that fish you're cooking up smells really good. Can I have some? And he ate it in front of them. And, and, and here is Jesus He's eating with them. He's hanging with them. He gave them the command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you will uh, hear me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he says the same kind of thing in the end of the Gospel of Luke. He says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. He is a gift for them. That gift will be the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit will empower them to continue the mission so that what Jesus began to say, uh, do and say, now his followers are doing and saying what he wants and, and will continue to grow the church. And, and so... Um, they, they, were, they were beginning to understand some of these things, but they had to stay for another period of time until they were clothed from power on high. And uh, they get a little sidetracked. Um, what Jesus had done and recorded, uh, he would empower them for the mission. And uh, in, in Acts uh, 1, 6, and 7, it says, when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In, in other words, they're saying, yeah, you conquered death, so are you going to restore the kingdom, a political kingdom? Will you now be the king over Israel and beyond Israel to the whole world? And will we be ruling and reigning with you at this time? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. 
He's saying, none of your business. You've got a job to do. Forget about that, and let's look ahead. And so in Acts 1.8, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses. I'm going to empower you. Do not leave, do not leave Jerusalem until you've received the empowerment that you need to do the work that I'm calling you to do. And, and so here we have him uh, with the ascension. And you know, these are things that we don't talk a lot about, the ascension and uh, the enthronement of Christ. These are important parts. Um, these are parts of the exaltation of Christ. And the exaltation of Christ has like three movements or three parts to it. It, it has the resurrection. He conquered death. The first act of that exaltation was he... he, um, he he is raised from the dead. The next movement in that is uh, he is uh, not only raised from the dead, he ascends from earth back to heaven. And that's not the end of it yet because it's his enthronement at the right hand, uh, uh, right hand side of the Father. He will sit and he will rule and reign. And, and so when we think of the gospel, we often don't think about this aspect of the exaltation of Christ. It's just not that he died and was buried and resurrected. He was resurrected, he returned to heaven, and there he was in, enthroned uh, on, on a throne beside his father and given the, res the, the respect and the empowerment to do everything that he is to do. And, and so uh, after he says this, he was taken up before their very eyes. The last things he said, according to Luke in, in the gospel, was, you've got a mission. Stay here, stay here in Jerusalem until you receive the empowerment you need for that mission. And then he says, uh, he, it's farewell. And all of a sudden, he just levitates. And they're standing there watching as he goes up to heaven. And as he was going, suddenly two men were dressed in white and stood beside them. It's interesting at the resurrection, we've got two men, men, gleaming clothes, angels. When he's resurrected and when he ascends, there all of a sudden there are these two guys there. And they say, what do you, what do you guys do standing, looking up into the sky? This Jesus, <laughs> uh, let me read it. The men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you've seen him go into heaven. You've got a job to do. Stop standing and staring up into the sky. You've got a job to do. And, and so Philippians were reminded uh, of the exaltation of Christ. Oh, the, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But that was not the end of the story. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And uh, he's gone. And there are these things that are critical to the mission. If we're going to be a church that gets some attention, 
that people know about, then we're going to need to understand some things. These are critical to the message. The believers wanted to keep Jesus there. Do you remember, do you remember uh, oh, dear, dear Mary Magdalene weeping at the, at the tomb? Well, you know, where, where have you, thinking Jesus was the gardener, where, where have you put him? Yeah, I've come to, uh, out of my love for dear Jesus. I've prepared some spices for his body. I, you know, and, and Jesus makes himself known to Mary. And he says, Mary? She, didn't, she couldn't see that it was Jesus. Mary? Mary says, Rabboni, and she grabs him and won't let go. Remember what Jesus said? He said, Mary, don't hang on to me. I haven't gone up to heaven yet. What did he mean by that? Did he mean, I don't like all this physical stuff? No. He loved that. He loved that, that she loved him and was so dedicated to him. I mean, he, he says to Philip, uh, or rather to Thomas, Thomas, come here. Put your hand in here. Feel this. Put your hand in my side and, and know that it is I. It, it, it is I. And so he, what he was saying was, he's, he's not ascended to his father. He's got a program to fulfill. And it, it, you've got to let him go because if he doesn't go, the spirit doesn't come. And if the spirit doesn't come, the mission doesn't happen. And, and that's why that's so important. Jesus was to leave so that the Holy Spirit might come. Jesus, as the God-man, was relegated to be in one place at one time. He gave up, he gave up that to in, inhabit a body for eternity, to be like us, to, 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 to have that. And, and if Jesus were to stay in that place, he could only minister to the people that he could physically, tangibly meet with. But if, the, if Jesus were to send the Holy Spirit to be a part of every single believer's life, he could replicate his ministry over and over and over again. Uh, in John 16, 7 and 8, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go away, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he'll convict the world of guilt and regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. I've got to go. It's for your benefit that I'm going. Because if I don't go, the spirit doesn't come. And if the spirit doesn't come, the mission ends at that point. The most he could do is is the best thing he could do was leave them. But you know, when he left them, they had an entirely different attitude. They're now starting to get it, and they still haven't gotten it all because we haven't gone to, we haven't gone to Pentecost yet. And the Apostle Paul reminds us of our responsibility when he says that we're ambassadors for Christ, that we make his appeal the, for, for Christ to people to be reconciled to God. Paul reminds us of that. If you're like me, you're thinking, I don't know about this whole gig. I know myself. I know that I'm not as reliable as I should be. I know that I fail at times. I know that there are all kinds of challenges that I have, and, and you're relying on me, and yet you think of the, think of the apostles. He was, 
He was betting on them. He, he, he had his money on them. What'd they do? Denied him, fled, left him, uh, cursed him, denied that they had ever, they had any knowledge of him or knew him or had anything to do with him. You talk about guys who blew it. But those are the people. Those are you. And those are me. And, and, and we're people that are given a responsibility with all of our shortcomings and all of our failures. And God can still work in and through us. What a difference he can make in our lives. And uh, he wanted, they wanted the physical kingdom now. And Jesus said, no, no, just, you're, you're all wrong with that. We've got a mission to do. We're not into a political uh, thing at this time. And so the disciples watch as Jesus goes back to heaven, and they know that they have work to do at this point. What do you do to see the world turned upside down? How, how, do, we, how do we see that happen? Well, first, we need to realize that we have a mission. Wait in Jerusalem till you receive power from on high. And, and he, goes, he goes on to say uh, to them, uh, stay here until you've received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and you will be what? My witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You've got a mission. We've got to embrace the mission. We, we, can't, we can't begin to think that the, the church is all about me. It's all about making me happy and singing the kind of music that we want to sing and, and, and being the kind of people and doing the kind of things that we... It's not about us. It's about a mission that we have, and we need to embrace the mission. Secondly, we need, that, uh, we need Jesus to be gone so that the Spirit can come. And they were, at that, that juncture, they were happy for Jesus to go because they were going to receive the Spirit. Thirdly, the Spirit would replicate and multiply Jesus' ministry time and time and time again. And so they're to stop stargazing and get to work. And God can use each one of us in powerful, powerful ways. Uh, when, I was, when I was doing my studies in uh, Chicago or Deer, Deerfield, Illinois, uh, one of the, there was a course that all of the doctoral students had to uh, take. And uh, it was about the church in the 21st century. Um, we were kind of in the 20th century when we started it, but it became the 21st century. And uh, they took a load of us uh, students, and we all, they, they got a, a coach and took us down to the south side of Chicago. If you know anything about Chicago, the south side of Chicago is a rough place. Um, violent, a lot of crime, um, not, not the kind of place where you want to go and settle with your family, but, but scads and scads of people live there. And um, there was a a guy who was a Christian, and he, his name was Gordon. 
And, and Gordon wanted his life to make a mark for Christ. And so what he did was he uh, had an opportunity to go and have a teaching position in a school in the south side of Chicago. And he was a newlywed, and uh, he and his wife were going to this place, and uh, her parents came for a visit. They, they drove, they were out of state, they came and, and, uh, for a visit, and uh, what they did was they said, let's, let's go out for dinner. So they, they had an apartment, they closed the, the apartment, they went out and had a nice dinner with the, the in-laws, and um, they came home and found that the, their place had been broken into and the TV was gone. You can imagine how that girl's parents felt. This is what you brought my daughter into this place. And uh, so here they, here they are, this high crime rate, and this guy who is, just believes that God wants them to be there and to have an impact from there. And uh, so uh, he's figuring out how he can make a, a, a distinction uh, and a difference for Christ in this community. Um, he was viewed, of course, uh, with suspicion, this white guy in this all-black area. And, and uh, so trying to figure out what he could do. And he just, he just had a vision for reaching and touching these young men and women. And uh, little by little, he built some confidence in them, and they began to talk to him. They always addressed him as coach, and uh, and uh, he they they would see what what he was he was interested in them and in their life. He started having a Bible study, and the, some of the students would come and have the Bible study. And he, he contacted a pastor and said, "Would you come and would you pastor a church in this community?" And so they came, and uh, they worked together, and people started coming to faith in Christ, and people started coming out to the church, and people were bringing other friends to the church, and, uh, and Gordon was just, just continued to live Christ and to reach out to those people. Um, it's interesting, with the great need, uh, no one in that community had ever gone to college, and so he talked to them about college, and he started a tutoring program for them. And he challenged the school, the, the students, and now they were starting to have people who were graduating from high school and going to college and graduating from college. Healthcare was a problem in, in this place. And uh, he, got, he got a couple of doctors to give time to come and, and see patients in that community. They established a pharmacy, and for those who couldn't afford to pay, they would give drugs. Um, and they saw, they saw some wonderful things happen. They started, uh, they started a, uh, pizza places. If you haven't had Chicago deep dish pizza, I somehow think that the Lord has that in heaven or something. Um, but they started these pizza places. In fact, the whole lot of us in this huge bus went into one of their pizza places and, and had that. They did this so that they could provide jobs for people who, who, who would then be able to, 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 to gain some things and to make some money and, and to deal with uh, poverty. They had, they had some of their students now win the Olympics. 
And, and he worked uh, tirelessly on this. Every, and so by the time we get there, all of these things have been established. And he's walking us through the community and showing the different ministries. And there's more than what I'm, what I'm telling you of. And everywhere he went, people would say, hey, coach. Hey, coach, how you doing, coach? Everywhere he went, people knew him, loved him, appreciated him. And, and something happened. It changed the whole face of that community. And, and Jesus said, I want you guys to, to turn the world upside down for Christ. And here was a guy who found a way to do it, and others came alongside him and helped. And I, I, I just was, was so touched by that and so moved by that. Here was a church that really got it, and the empowerment of God was upon them. And they were doing far beyond what Jesus ever had done. Jesus said, greater things than I've done, you've done. What, what, what greater have we done that Jesus hasn't done? I mean, when's the last time you raised somebody from the dead? He was talking about the scope of the gospel and how it would spread. And, and we're to get a hold of this mission. We're, get a we're to get a hold of this and allow the spirit of the living God to work through us to love and care for and reach out and help others. And uh, they did that. And they touched countless numbers of people. You know, uh, the book of Acts takes us right through this, uh, this whole point of, of, of history. And we come to the conclusion of Acts. Paul, has, uh, Paul is in, in prison. They don't know whether he's going to get out or he's going to have to stay in prison, uh, whether he'll be put to death. Uh, we're, we don't know. And so we, we read as we come to the end of the book of Acts. Are you ready for the ending? This is cool. He's, he says, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For, the, for two whole years, Paul stayed in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Did Paul live or die? Was he put to death or did they let him out? What? See, this is a, this is the dumbest conclusion to it. But there's, that's like, you know, those movies that leave you just cold. They leave you hanging and you don't know. And... and Basically, we look at this, and that's the end of what was written. You say, well, that's not, that's not a very good conclusion. May I suggest to you that it is exactly the conclusion that we need? There's an organization called Acts 29, and it recognizes that the story goes on and on and on and on. I don't know what we're in now. You know, we, we may be in Acts 10 million and 45 version. What, what's going on? I don't know. But, it, but the whole point of this is it should be going on. And God, by his spirit, Christ will work in lives and we'll turn the world upside down. Oh, that we would turn the world upside down for Christ. I, I see yesterday, you know, um, uh, Nancy Wilson 
sent a, a, a report and of you know, 30 drive-throughs and 100 and some uh, people and, and all the people who were served. And, and she, in, in her note to me, she, j- she put, you know, it, it's just so, so wonderful to see the smiles and how our interaction with those people helped them. And, and it's an expression of our church reaching out and seeing God touch lives and by his grace opening hearts and bringing them to himself. Well, we're continuing to write that book. And so this is the start of, of this volume two of Luke as he wants us to understand something about what our mission is and what God is able to do. And I trust that the Lord will, will speak to all of us that, that we'll make a difference in our world through Christ because we reach out with his love, his compassion, and his grace. Are you available to him? Are, are, have you got a set of eyes that see and, and understand and are reaching out? I, I trust that you do. And uh, we, as, we, as we go through some of the book of Acts, we'll see what God is doing in all of those ways. Let's pray. Father, you've given us this incredible mission. You, you've told us to make disciples throughout the whole world. We're, we're to see your power unleashed and where Satan would keep people in bondage. Lord, you are freeing them. And, and the gates of hell have no uh, defense against the gospel of Jesus Christ as wielded by the Spirit. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us individually to see and to know and to recognize uh, what you have given to us and to see lives changed and communities changed in, for the sake of, the, of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.